I'm live in Oklahoma City. You've got questions, we've got answers. Phone lines are open. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to the Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown coming your way live from Oklahoma City, a great convergence conference hosted by Dr. Sam Storms. A great teaching, great opening up the word, the Holy Spirit moving, touching lives. I had the joy of teaching on healing in the Old Testament, going through lots of verses, having fun quoting it in Hebrew. That's how I memorized a lot of it. It's just easier to do that and go from there and uh, listen to some great teaching from Andrew Wilson, Dr. Andrew Wilson from England, and it's just been rich, full of scripture, edifying, got to spend some great time with different pastors and leaders here, love their hunger for the word and their love for the Lord. So when I finish radio, literally, I'm going right out the door from where I'm broadcasting right across the street. I mean, just a matter of a few steps back over to the convention center where we're meeting or the theater, whatever it is, the center where we're meeting and uh, I'll, I'll teach there on demons and deliverance and healing and sickness. Yeah, going through the word. All right, 866-348-7884. 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. You've got questions, we've got answers, and we are going to go to the phones momentarily. In fact, let's start right now. We'll go to Eugene in Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. Hello, Eugene. Okay? Yeah, uh, I can. Go ahead. Thank you. It was uh, pretty sudden. Just like, took my question down. Now I'm speaking to you, sir. So uh, <laughs> I well, wanted to be a little hey, bit more Hey, question prepared. for you. Um, where is uh, Oklahoma City compared to Fort Sill? It's only about a uh, less than two hour drive away, sir. Okay, got it. All right. Well, I can hear you like you're right next to me. So go ahead with your question. Just the two of us talking. No reason to be nervous. Wow, you're in Oklahoma City, sir. I'm sorry to digress, but yeah, uh-huh. you're in for OKC? a couple of days. Yes, Whoa. sir. Doctor Brown, I'm so sorry. Are you speaking at any events? Because my weekend is completely free, sir. <laughs> well, I I'm. My next event and the last time I speak is 55 minutes from now, so I don't think you'll be able to make it. Yeah, then I, I fly out tomorrow. But God willing, I'll be here another time. So go for it. What's on your mind, sir? Hello, are you there? Did we lose Eugene? Everybody else okay? Can you hear me all right? 866-34-TRUTH. Let's try one more time. Uh, Eugene, are you still there? All right. Not sure what happened to Eugene. We'll try to get back to him. Uh, Let's go over to Hawaii. Derek, welcome to the line of fire. Hey, how's it going, Dr. Brown? Um, I had a question pertaining to the law of Moses. Uh, I've been talking to some brothers in in the Lord. And um, I watched a lot of your material. Uh, I was just seeing uh, for specific apologetic responses to uh, the uh, Gentile believers. Um, and h- how would you interpret Acts 15? Um, 
the Jerusalem Council, um, the rebuttal I get from those who advocate for the law being applicable to the new believer is that at the end of um, their resolution, they said that, you know, Moses is being still taught. And that's kind of their go-to to say, yeah, well, you see, this is something that they should just focus on, you know, refraining from things with blood and whatnot, but they still have to go and learn and uh, apply the law of Moses. Right. It, it's a standard apologetic, but it's it's a very weak one, and it breaks down on, on a whole bunch of, of levels. Uh, the first thing is, why then don't the rest of the New Testament letters tell the Gentile believers to keep the seventh-day Sabbath? Why doesn't Paul make it plain in Romans 14 where you've got Jewish and Gentile believers side by side. By the way, everybody has to keep the same calendar. Why doesn't Paul say it to the Thessalonians who came from idol worship to serve the living and true God? Why does actually warn the Colossians against anyone judging them about Sabbath observance, saying, hey, the Sabbath is just the shadow, the substance is found in the Messiah? So that's, that's the, the first thing, that the rest of the New Testament does not go in that direction. The second thing, as, as for the interpretation, well, Moses is read, uh, David Stern in his Jewish New Testament commentary gives a bunch of different possible settings. Uh, one, and, and I'll just go through a few, uh, one reading is quite the opposite. They've heard Moses over and over and over, and that hasn't brought them where they need to go. They need to hear the message of grace and forgiveness through the Messiah. Another reading is they'll have no problem with these basic guidelines that we're giving them because they've been hearing this stuff in Moses for years and years and years already. Uh, So David Stern gives some of these possible meanings. Since Moses has disciples everywhere, that is, since there are Jews throughout the Roman Empire, there's scruples to be respected. This is why we're setting up these general rules or in every city. Gentiles are responding to public proclamation of Judaism in the synagogues by becoming proselytes and God-fearers. This will continue, and Judaism will lose nothing if some Gentiles who never belong to Moses anyway are not required to become Jews, and and on and on. So there are numerous different uh, interpretations, and the least plausible one to me is, hey, we're just going to tell them the basics now because they're going to hear Moses the, the rest of the time. And, and then they'll, they'll learn the rest of the law of Moses. Uh, the, the other thing is, what about blood sacrifices? What about day of atonement? Well, that certainly changed with the Messiah coming into the world. Uh, dietary laws are nowhere laid on Gentile believers in the New Testament. Plus, the New Testament teaches us that that which comes out of the heart defiles, not that which goes into the mouth. So for many, many reasons, that interpretation is very weak and should be rejected. All right? All right, yeah, that's good. Because um, one more thing is on, on that is um, I, I use a lot of the, the writings, um, and the, the the rebuttal back to me is that you know, well, Peter mentioned that Paul's writings can be misunderstood, and and you know, and to me that takes away all my, you know, all, all you know, all my ammunition, if you will, um, to, to speaking on the mandates required of a of a new believer because Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Um, and they say, well, if you go to all the, you know, the other apostles and um, uh, disciples, they they were uh, constantly referring back to, you know, keeping the commands, the commands. And they say, well, at the time they only had the Old Testament, so that's what they were referring to was the Law of Moses, and that Paul. Right. Was, so, was right. So my responding. response to them is, well, you're obviously misinterpreting Paul. 
I'll turn it right back on them. You're obviously misinterpreting mm-hmm. Peter warned that people would do exactly what you're doing. That's where I'll start with them. Turn it around and put it where it belongs. First thing. Second thing, when the Gospel of John, Jesus talks about keeping his commandments, he means the words that he's speaking. Love one another as I've loved you. That's talking about the Old Testament commandments. And then just press with these people. So when Hebrews 7 says there's a change of the law and we're now under the new and better covenant, you reject that. So you reject Hebrews also. And please show me anywhere in the New Testament where Gentile believers are explicitly commanded to do these things. And why do you draw the line with one place? Why aren't you stoning disobedient, rebellious teenagers? And why aren't you offering blood sacrifices? Ultimately, the thing breaks down on so, so many different levels. It's, it's unfortunate, but it's a fact. Hey, Derek, thank you for calling 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, we go to Bobby in Dunn, North Carolina. Welcome to the line of fire. Uh, thank you, sir, for taking my call. You're welcome. Uh, I want to I want to ask you a question about the sin nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy Swaggart says you still the born again Christian still has a sin nature. Uh, Creflo Dollar says the the Christian does the born again Christian does not have a sin nature. Andrew Womack says the Christian does born again Christian does not have a sin nature. Prince might say that I'm not sure, but what is the truth? Right. It's, it's actually a very complex question. And my understanding would be that as long as we are in this body with a mind that has to be renewed, we have a battle with a sinful nature. In, in other words, if I sin, because we all agree that we still sin, right? It's someone that's a total fantasy world that says we don't sin. So why do I sin? Uh, it, it tells me in James, Jacob, the first chapter, that I'm led away by my own lust and, and enticed. In other words, it's not just the devil made me do it. So in that light, we, are, we have spiritually died to our sinful nature, okay? Look at us as a whole human being, body, soul, spirit. In Jesus, we have died to our sinful nature, And now its power has been broken, but we must consider ourselves dead to it. So I think some teachers put the emphasis on the fact that we still have this nature and we have to deal with it. And other teachers put the emphasis on we have died to it. But the reality is we have been spiritually set free. But as long as we're in this world, in this body, it is an ongoing battle and we have to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. So consider yourself dead to your sinful nature and alive to God, even though this is still an ongoing battle that we have. If we don't have a sin nature and we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and born again and the devil doesn't control us, then why do we sin? What part of us is making that choice it's something fleshly, something wrong. That's what we're referred to as our sin nature. So we have died to it, but we must consider ourselves dead to it and now live for God. Does that make sense to you? Uh, yes, sir, uh, except that I, I guess, uh, uh, do you mean maybe the sin comes from the soul part of you? You could say that. Again, where exactly are we defining it? In our In our spirits, if our spirits are born again, then they are free from sin. But yes, you could say the sin nature ties in with the soulish part of us. Um, 
Paul writes in Colossians 3, put to death that which remains of the flesh. Uh, Romans 8 tells us that, that we're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. We have to take hold of that reality. So yes, it is in the soulish realm, and, and it's expressed in our physical bodies. But because we exist as whole human beings, in other words, I'm functioning right now, spirit, soul, body, all together as one, that's where the battle is fought. And that's, that's where we need to walk in the reality of the life of the Spirit. On a practical level, there's not always a big difference between these two different teachings. But yes, there's still a sinful nature. But in Jesus, we've died to it and must live an overcoming life. Hey, thank you for the question. And we will be right back. 866-348-7884. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to the Line of Fire. Michael Brown coming away live from Oklahoma City, 866-34-TRUTH. Let us go to John in Salt Lake City, Utah. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Oh, hi, Dr. Brown. Um, Hello. Uh, I live in Salt Lake, and, and I am a committed member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but I listen to your broadcasts uh, frequently, and, and I, I get a lot from them, and I, I admire the work you're doing. This morning in the newspaper, the headline was, Utah is poised to place ban on conversion therapy. Um, I read the article, and um, uh, I think that parents should have the choice to go to people that, you know, that... Uh, want to uh, treat their children for these problems. But uh, what are your thoughts? And is this just part of the effort to diminish the influence of uh, Christians? Yes, uh, John, thanks for listening, and keep listening, and, and I hope and pray that you come into an extraordinarily vibrant relationship with God through Jesus beyond anything you've ever known. I'm sure you and I could agree on that as, as a great goal for all of us. So... The Absolutely. attempt to, to ban so-called conversion therapy, first, that's a word that the, the world uses, or they call it pray away the gay and then conversion therapy. Uh, bottom line is this is an attempt by LGBT activists and their allies to take away liberties and freedoms from those who are uncomfortable with same-sex attraction. This is telling uh, a 15-year-old boy who was raped by his uncle when he was 12 and 13 and has found himself attracted to men and is disturbed by it and, and wants to get to the root of his same-sex attraction, and his parents are, are saying, we're standing with you, this is to take away his right and their rights to self-determination. This is to break the ability for a therapist or a counselor or a professionally trained person to sit with them and talk and help. You say, well, how are they gaining ground in different cities? Be because people believe all this junk that like kids are being kidnapped or put in camps or there's shock treatment. Or And by the way, I'm sure there have been abuses and all kinds of things and, and, and screaming around a kid trying to drive demons out of him until the kid was scared out of his wits. I'm sure crazy things have happened. But what we're talking about is simply sitting and talking with a pro tra trained professional to try to get to the roots of these unwanted attractions 
or to help someone who's confused about their gender. I mean, California came within an inch of, of trying to pass a bill that would make it illegal for anyone of any age to, to get uh, therapy or help. New York City did that and recently had it reverse that. So this is wrong on every level. Uh, it will rely on emotional appeals, uh, many times stories that are bogus stories. Uh, it, it passed in New Jersey based on complete myth, bogus stories that were made up. And, oh, wow, this is so moving. So what we need to hear from is one person after another after another who came out of homosexual practice who's been helped to say, hey, we need our free- Don't take away our freedoms. So these are going to be challenged in state after state by the courts, by God's grace. We will see the tide turn. Thank you for asking. 866-34-TRUTH. And to all my Mormon friends listening in Salt Lake City, obviously I'm not a Mormon. Obviously I reject the Book of Mormon. But I am not a Mormon basher, meaning you could listen to me for five years and that subject's not going to come up in terms of a regular subject. So I encourage you to keep reading Scripture, keep crying out to God, and ask Him to bring you into the fullness of truth about Jesus and his church. 866-34-TRUTH. All right, Maurice in Greenwood, South Carolina. Thank you so much for calling back. I remember your call that I abruptly cut off because I didn't think it was Jewish-related on a Thursday. So thank you for calling back. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah, man. I I, I definitely wouldn't miss calling back. Uh, It's so awesome to be on the line with you, though, man. So um, so yeah, I just had a question about... um, I have I have someone that I was meeting up with that's recently coming out of like Catholicism and just like Catholic thought, and uh, I know that like salvation is probably one of the greater things to, to talk about when someone's coming out of it because there's such a different soteriology. But I would just kind of want to know like what was your what would you think would be some of the things to major on when someone's coming out of Catholicism into Christianity and like how like 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 what are some things to kind of go like how would you go about that? In a, in right, a so. A lot of times, people were nominal Catholics. They've never heard the gospel in their whole lives, or they went to an expression of Catholicism where it was deep, deep, deep in tradition, but very, very weak in Scripture. So many times, that's what they think Christianity is. And we need to say, no, 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 that's that's not the gospel. Many friends of mine that were former Catholics, will tell me, I, I, I was in the Catholic Church, I was an altar boy, I, was just, I never heard the gospel once until I got saved later in life. So what you really want to do is ask this person, what do they understand about what it means to be saved or what it means to be a Christian? Or why did Jesus die on the cross? How are we saved? Do we believe in him and then do a certain amount of good works and that makes us ready do we have to go through regular penance and, and, and kind of pay for our sins? See what their understanding is, because they may have a very, very flawed understanding of the gospel. And it could be they're turning away from traditions, rejecting a lot of traditions, but they're not trying to reject God. They're not trying to reject Jesus. And then the other thing to do is say, hey, look, what do you think of the Bible? Do you believe the Bible is, is God's word? I'm just not sure about what to believe. Well, let's go through it together. And let's see, okay, Catholicism teaches this. Let's see if this is in the Scripture. Uh, my church teaches this. Let's see if it's in the Scripture. One of my friends came to faith close to 50 years ago, 
And even though he was very much into the drug scene and transcendental meditation, he still identified strongly as a Catholic. And when he came to faith, he, of course, turned away from all the drugs and that junk. But he said to his brother-in-law, what about all the things that the Catholic Church does that you don't do? So he said, well, why don't you read through the Bible cover to cover and every verse that you see that teaches us to do something that the Catholics do and we don't, underline it, and then we'll talk about it. He read through the whole Bible and ended up not underlining a single verse. Wow. Yeah, so those few things, get to the heart of the gospel. What does that really mean? Try to separate between church traditions and who Jesus is so that they don't reject the Lord entirely. And then say, hey, let's, let's look at, see what's in the Bible. And, you know, if you're a traditional Jew and you're reading the Old Testament, a ton of what you do is not found there. And if you're a traditional Catholic and you're reading the New Testament, a ton of what you do is not found there. So Catholicism, Judaism would claim all our traditions have divine inspiration, etc. I would say, well, let's just look at Scripture and let's believe what's written there because that's what we agree on. And the key thing is not religious tradition, but a true vibrant relationship with the Lord. All right? Hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's that that makes perfect sense. And I, I don't know if you have time for like another small side note. I don't know. Yeah, go ahead real quick. Okay. Yeah, um you can just answer this super just really quick, but um are you going to do anything else related to black history life? You can just kind of say yes or no, but I didn't know if you were going to maybe have like a debate or something. I I'm sorry. Maybe I just it cut out for what do anything else with Oh yeah, the uh, the Black Hebrew Israelites. I saw that post that you put up. That oh one. yeah, I'm I'm hoping to uh, yeah. I, I'm hoping to get the right person to come on my show. Uh, when I've opened the door for calls, we don't get the calls, or someone will call and everyone will say, "Well, they're not a leader." There, it's like, well, let's set something up. So, I've, I've got to get somebody that is is a capable representative to be fair to their side and to be fair to our listeners. That hasn't happened yet, but but hopefully we will. I was just sent a link of a, a talk with Mike Heiser on Vocab Malone's uh, YouTube show, so you might want to look that up. But I am hoping to do something more with that. Thank you, sir, for asking. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Camille in West... All right, we won't. Let's go to uh, Tamara in Houston, Texas. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Yeah, so um, I had a question um, about the, um, uh, the, uh, the Pharisees in the New Testament, the leaders. Um, mm-hmm. So I know that uh, I think uh, where Jesus had healed a man who was born blind, and Jesus told them that um, I came into this world to give sight to those who cannot see and to take away sight from those who can and they said, are you saying that we're blind? He said, um, if you were blind, you'd be without sin, but since you say you see, your sin remains. So he was saying that they, they saw, I guess they saw who he was, but then later I know Paul says that, um, that, uh, that the leaders had wanted Jesus crucified out of ignorance. So I wanted to know, did they actually understand who Jesus was, or were they ignorant of who he was? Yeah, it's, that's a great question. Peter in Acts 3 says you acted ignorantly and in unbelief. Number one, they were accountable. They saw the miracles in front of their eyes. They were accountable. 
And, and Jesus says to Pilate in, in John 19 that those who handed me over to you have committed the greater sin. They were accountable for what they did. That's, that's the first thing. The second thing, did they fully understand who he was and the nature of what they were doing? That, the answer is probably no. They didn't fully understand until this resurrection. In other words, here he was working miracles, signs and wonders, coming in, in, in God's name and, and doing what no one had done. They knew that, that their rejection of him, that in their hearts there was something terribly wrong they were doing. But did they fully understand he was the Messiah, the Redeemer? I don't think they fully saw that until after the resurrection. And then after the resurrection, their further rejection is what seals the deal. So they knew they were responsible, but I don't believe they understood fully. We're about to crucify the Messiah. And that's why after his death and resurrection, then the the ante is upped. You act in ignorance and unbelief, but repent now. He's risen. No argument about it. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to The Line of Fire, 866-348-7884. Great to be out in Oklahoma City with some precious people at this Convergence Conference and it's great to have a conference on healing where there's candid talk about sickness, about those who aren't healed, where different speakers are cancer survivors, where others have children with severe handicap, and we're praying for the sick and believing God and encouraging folks that are not healed. It's, it's great to be in an environment like this. All right, 866-34-TRUTH. We go to Mike in Madera, California. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, Doing we talked very well. Before. Thank you, was, Mike. Yeah, yeah. I think it was like last year we talked. Um, yeah, I, I overheard the uh, question about about the uh, the uh, Jerusalem Council, and yeah. one of, one of the verses that stuck out to me was in uh, Exodus, I believe it's twelve forty eight, when I think it that kind of introduces us to the God fearing Gentiles when it said that there's if there's Gentiles who want to partake in the Passover, then they have to be circumcised and then. Jewish tradition added in a, a type of baptism after they've learned everything, and then they become a proselyte. Yep. But you had you've always had God fearing Jews. I mean, God fearing uh, Gentiles, and that's that's what Jesus basically did was he knocked the middle wall down between the God fearing Gentiles and the practicing Jews, so that we can all fellowship together in, under under one worship. So, like, I don't got to go get yeah. circumcised and dipped in some water to go to church with you. <laughs> exactly. So, so right. So you don't have did. to become, you don't have to become Jewish. I don't have to become Gentile, and yet we have equal status in the Lord. You have the full status that a a Jew would have who loved God and was born again in the Spirit and was observing the seventh day Sabbath and keeping the dietary laws. You have the exact same status without without doing those things. So, Amen. Yes, sir. Amen. And that, now the other thing I had was a. Uh, Cause I was listening to to some stuff that they was doing on hypergrace. Cause I'm actually uh, doing. I got a study that I do on Facebook called uh, Biblical Questions, and I'm doing a thing on grace. And 
I understand grace as being not just God's undeserved kindness, but his undeserved kindness in every way, the, the power to be able to walk the walk, the Bible, Jesus Christ himself, actually he is. It says that from him we get grace upon grace. So everything God gives us in order to be compatible to him in the first place, the justification, the forgiveness of sins, and then the power yep. of the Holy Spirit to walk, even even the gifts of the Spirit, charismata yes. coming out of the... It's, it's like, it's like another... It. Another form of the word grace, but what I what what, what I'm what I did here that I, I would like for you to to, to kind of uh, go on. Okay, now when when the Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith and not of yourselves, the, it, it is a gift of God. That word sozo, saved, it's in the perfect tense, meaning that it's it's it can't be taken away. So. And then there's other scriptures that seem to indicate, I don't know how, but somehow that once a believer is in Christ, that they're in Christ. You're sealed until the day of redemption. Uh, it, it even goes so far as the Holy Spirit saying through John that if they went away from us, then it just manifests that they never were of us, because had they been of us, they would have remained with us. Right. And, and, then, and then how does that also relate to in Romans chapter 5 when it says where sin abound, grace much more abounds. You know, because if if we could outsend the grace of God, then how is how? And if there's no assurance, then how are we actually saved? Because wouldn't that mean that we're right, not so, saved? So the question healed? would be, right? So so a few things. If someone says, "I know that I know that I'm saved and born again," which I I would say, right? I'm sure of that for 48 years now. I know that I know that I'm saved, born again, forgiven. Does that mean it's impossible for me to fall away? Does that mean all the warnings in the Bible? that warn about falling away, Hebrews 2, Hebrews 3, Hebrews 4, Hebrews 6, Hebrews 10, Hebrews 12, 2 Peter 2, and, and many other passages, Colossians 1, all the passages that warn about following, falling away, uh, those don't mm -hmm. apply then? You say, well, no, if you fall away, then you weren't truly saved. Well, well, then the only way you know for sure is if you make it till the end. So something's funny with that. Th that, that robs you yeah. of your assurance. But we, we, it's not a matter of outsending grace. But there are many warnings about frustrating God's grace and, and grieving the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And someone can reject mm -hmm. God's grace. So, so, Mike, I don't look at it as if, oh, no, I sinned one too many times today. I, I, I was burdened to pray in the morning, but I didn't pray. But that wasn't too bad. And then I, 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 instead of reading the Bible, I, was, I just went online and looked at sports. But, I mean, that was bad. But, but then I got really bad because I got mad. I lost my temper at somebody. And, and, but, but then it got even, even worse because I, I shoved someone. It's like, okay, it's not like if you can one more. Oh, oh, oh you, you just lost it there. You, you were real close. No. Forfeiting our salvation is rejecting the grace of God, is rejecting God. Just like we come in by faith, we can leave by denial. There are people who say, I do not want Jesus as my Lord. And being sealed until the day of redemption doesn't mean sealed like, like a, a can is sealed and can't be opened up. Sealed meaning having that, the seal of God, the mark of God being set apart by God. But the warnings are, are real. That someone can reject God, that they can forfeit the grace of God, as, as Hebrews 12 tells us. And that someone can, and, and as Paul writes to Timothy, if we deny him, he'll deny us. So the fact is, God's grace is totally sufficient to keep us until the end. No one needs to fall away. But God does not force us to stay in his house. Someone 
can willfully turn their back on God, deny him, walk away, and he will not force us to stay. Hey, thank you for the question. At the end of my Hypergrace book, I have a little appendix where I deal with that briefly. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, our friend Jerichiah in Harkin Heights, Texas. Thanks for trying again today. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hello, Michael Brown. Hey. How you doing? Go sir? for it. Doing good, man. What's yeah, up? I have a quick question because yesterday was a thoroughly Jewish uh, Thursday. So in regards to uh, uh, apologetics, I've come to realize that the uh, presuppositional method is the only one that is biblically faithful to Scripture. And every other method of apologetics is an abandonment of the ultimate authority of God. And so, like, when you're dealing with Jews, for instance, with apologetics, what would you say would be, like, the best advice? Well, I, I mean, first thing, to make this sweeping case that, that um, presuppositional apologetics is, is the only way, you're going to get a lot of pushback on that. But Jerichiah, when you're when you're dealing with a, a Jewish person, and and by the way, if you just type in um, classical apologetics or what is it, there's an article on crossexamined.org, apologetic methods and a case for classical apologetics. Um, you'll you'll get different approaches to this, but two two simple things. One, the majority of Jews you'll deal with in America are not religious. They, they're not familiar with the Bible. They don't strictly observe the Sabbath or the dietary laws. So you most likely know Scripture much more than they do and take it much more seriously than they do. So you can quote it to them, but it may not have authority in their lives, in which case you're, it's like anyone else. How can you get them to see their need for God? How can you get them to see the reality of Scripture? That's one thing. The second thing is, God's word is still God's word, and it does pierce hearts. So I'll still use scripture, even with a non-believer, uh, with the goal of opening their hearts and minds and, and believing that the Holy Spirit will penetrate and convict. But if I'm dealing with a religious Jew, now we're going to have the scriptures in common, but you just better be ready for the battle because a religious Jew <clears throat> is going to know the Bible better and is going to know Hebrew and may even be familiar with some of the objections to your reading of Scripture, in which case um, my five volumes on answering Jewish objections to Jesus should be helpful for you. Hey, thank you for calling in. The majority of American Jews will get saved in ways very similar to the majority of American Gentiles. Once they're saved, though, lots of questions and issues will come up. All right, 866-34-TRUTH. We go to Washington, D.C. Gary, welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, good afternoon, Dr. Brown. Thank you so much for your ministry, and I just want to say I love you for your humility and your education and for helping to take care of the children of God. Um, quick question for you. Go ahead. Hello? Yeah, yes, go ahead, please. Um, this is a uh, Hebrew question. So if you have uh, your Hebrew Bible, uh, Genesis chapter 4, mm -hmm. verse 1, yeah. Please excuse me, I have a breathing problem. So, um, but anyways, it says, Adam yada et chava isto, v'tahar v'taled et kain, v'tomer kaniti ish et Yahweh. 
And um, yeah. I know that most, if not all, modern English um, translations translate as not as a direct object marker, but in the only place that I know of in the Hebrew Bible, with the help of Yahweh. And um, I looked up every reference of et Yahweh, and nowhere else is it ever translated with the help of Yahweh. And I'm familiar with critical scholars saying that it might be a um, scribal error uh, with ot Yahweh, a sign of Yahweh. Um, but it just kind of gives me an idea that this may be where they got the idea of God being manifested in the flesh, um, and that he was in Christ, redeeming the world unto himself, and that the fullness of deity is in Jesus. And um, so I'd just like to hear your comments on that, sir. Yeah, so uh, number number one, it's a good question. If If you were reading it and just reading it straightforward, you might think that Eve said, uh, so she gave birth to Cain, and she said, Kaniti, I have acquired a man, namely the Lord. But even there, right. the grammar is, is a little odd, and the idea that she gave birth to Yahweh does seem quite far-fetched. The ancient uh, translations, for example, the Septuagint says, right. theu, with. so with yeah. God or through God. Right. And then the... the um, uh, the Targum says, Min Kadam Adonai, so from before the Lord. So their understanding early on uh, goes in that direction as, as well. And just looking at the Syriac, um, yeah, so none of them read it, and, and I don't read it as, as the Lord that she thought she gave birth to the Lord. The problem is you're just looking for et with Yahweh. Just look for et where it means with, okay? Look for at where it means with, and you'll find it does occur many times in the Hebrew Bible. It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey, friends, don't forget about our once-in-a-lifetime Israel trip next May. We filled one bus. We're filling the second. Now's a great time to sign up. Uh, you will be thrilled with every day. You'll be amazed at how much you see. Your life will be impacted. We'll have great times together as well. Find out about it on our website, askdrbrown.org. You'll see it right on the homepage. And with that, we go to Nathan in Hawaii. Welcome, sir, to the Line of Fire. Hello. Yes, hello. Yes. Thank you for taking my call, Dr. Brown. I just wanted to thank you for your ministry. Um, it has impacted my life, and I know many, many others. And uh, I'm praying that God will keep you healthy and continue to be on the, uh, on the radio and, and YouTube and Facebook and everything like that. Thank you so much. I do have thank a question. Thank you, sir. Uh, yeah. Uh, I have a question about... What is your anticipation of the messages that, that we're hearing um, on pulpits across the nation? I, I, I'm getting the sense that there's a lot of people anticipating a great awakening. Um, and then there's a, another camp that, that's talking about the return and the rapture of the body of Christ. And, and so it's, it, it seems to be 
like they're working not in tandem but almost against each other. One is saying we're anticipating something glorious to take place to bring in a great harvest. And then and then another camp is that, well, we need to be talking about the return of Christ and, and the rapture and that the Church will be gloriously uh, taken into heaven. So what is your take on that? Uh, and thank you for your, your prayers and your support. I appreciate that. Uh, number one, I don't believe in a pre-trib rapture. Uh, Craig Keener and I wrote a book earlier this year, Not Afraid of the Antichrist, Why We Don't Believe in a Pre-Trib Rapture. So I believe we'll be here right until the end, rather than taken up to heaven. We will meet the Lord in the air as he's coming and descend with him to the earth. So whatever persecution, hardship is coming, we'll be here. As God's wrath is poured out on a sinning world, he'll protect his people as his wrath is poured out. But we'll be here. Uh, I am looking forward to the Lord's return, and my great goal is to see him return in my lifetime, to see the culmination of the ages, the, the finale of the harvest of the Gentiles, the turning of the Jewish people, a glorious church raised up by God, uh, and Jesus returning. I, I, I want to see that more than anything else, want to see him come in my lifetime, but I continue to labor and work as, as if I've got however many decades ahead of me wanting to see God move in, in awakening, and, and I do believe that there's going to be an awakening. There are many who believe in a pre-trib rapture who believe everything's just going to get worse before Jesus comes, so why even look for that? Just get as many people saved as possible, and we're out of here. Well, I believe we should see as many people saved as possible, but the people who get saved become disciples, and disciples live in this world, so how do we live? And, and what are our burdens and goals? I, I believe that we really could see a, a mighty outpouring of the Spirit. But I also believe that most churches are not ready for it. Most churches are not really hungry for awakening. Uh, if, we, if we have a hard time getting through an hour service on a Sunday, we're not going to want to be there five nights a week or having services lasting six or seven hours or having prayer meetings during lunch break at work and, and uh, right. you know uh, people flocking to our homes to find out more about Jesus. I wonder how hungry and thirsty we are, but I believe that there's going to be an awake. I, I can't say I'm sure. I'm certainly hoping for it, but my right. expectation is that we will see a, a great awakening that will shake America. It may be in the midst of judgment and hard times, but I believe it's going to happen. I believe many eyes will be open to see the Lord. I believe God will work in miraculous power. There'll be massive repentance. The question is, will the church be ready? Will the outpouring bring about the change God desires, or will it fall short because we're too caught up with our own thing? But I'm praying for it, believing for it, and if it doesn't happen because Jesus comes first, that would be the best possible news of all. Amen. All right? All right, God bless you, man. <laughs> Thank you for the call again you. and for your prayers. 866-34-TRUTH. Oh, and Gary from D.C., thank you for your kind words as well. I, I failed to say that to you. All right, we go to Keith in Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. First of all, I love your show. Um, I think you have a pure heart, and, and you have ways of doing it. <laughs> you know, but my question is merchandising. You, I, I just wrote a book, a Christian book. It's, not, it's almost done, and, and I do music. I do publishing, music. I've got CDs out there. But um, selling, you know, selling the gospel, do you believe that it's okay to set a certain price? Because I, I don't believe in a prosperity gospel, you know, but I think mer we've done merchandising. Even Charles Spurgeon <laughs> merchandises books. 
And do you think that's right? And do you have scripture to show that we set a certain price for merchandising? Well, the principle is, 1 Corinthians 9, those who preach the gospel should make their living by the gospel. So those who are full-time vocational yeah. gospel workers should be supported by that. And Paul has those principles that the priest that served the temple would be fed by the temple, that the one that works mm-hmm. the, the farm uh, gets some of the produce from the farm. So the, the fact of the matter is it takes many hours to write a book. Uh, there's hard work involved. Some can be done in a matter of work, weeks, some are a matter of years. My Job commentary I worked on for years and years. And then it's, uh, to edit a book, to publish it properly, to, uh, to, that all takes money. So it's perfectly right and appropriate to sell it. Well, the gospel's free. Yeah, you share the gospel for free every day. Absolutely. You know, I do every day. But then, for example, we have classes in our school, and people pay to take a class because you have to pay faculty, and you have to pour into them and train. And even then, the tuition isn't enough. You have to pray for more funds. So it's the rarest of rare Christian authors who will actually make a living just on their writing. And the reason that we write is because we have a message we want to get out to people. Now, it's perfectly fine if you say, hey, I want to give books away. I give books away all the time. When my Revolution book came out in the year 2000, we gave away, in a single day at the Call of DC, we gave away over 70,000 books. It's a million dollars retail. We gave away in a single day. But I would dare say that when you give a book away, unless it's someone that you know well and they're eager to get the book, that most people will not treat it as, as, as if they bought it. That when they pay for it, they are more serious about it. It's, it's something that they're more interested in. They're much more likely to read a book that they bought than a book that someone just gave away to them at random. So it's perfectly fine. Now, if your motivation is carnal, right, which I trust it's not, and I want to get rich and famous and putting the book out, well, God's not going to smile on that. But look, it costs money uh, to publish books. It costs money to write books. Uh, you know, I was joking with someone, if I worked half of minimum wage for the amount of time it took me to write my Job commentary, I'd make more money doing that than, than working on a book. But of course, it's right, it's fair, it's appropriate, it is a product, uh, it takes editing, it takes publishing, it takes artwork, and all of those things, printing costs, uh, and then set it where you feel is appropriate. And if in the process, it brings some revenue to you or to your church ministry, wonderful. Praise God. Uh, many authors, as I did for many years, signed all royalties over to the ministry. When someone found out that I personally had no retirement fund and zero dollars in retirement, they said, you need to start taking royalties and, and, and put money aside for the future because I'd never done that. And But either way, the motivation is never... About that, the motivation is to get a message out. But perfectly fine, perfectly right, perfectly appropriate, and you shouldn't think twice about it. Just look at comparable books and see what a fair price is. 866-34-TRUTH. Let us go to Angela in San Diego. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Go for it. Please do. Okay. Um, I'm going to read my question because... I don't want to forget anything. Um, Go ahead. So I read your article, Exposed, the Church's Hand in the Holocaust, and I was really appalled and really horrified by, by what I read. Um, I knew of the Church's anti-Semitic history, but I didn't know it was that widespread or that deep. 
I'm a millennial, and most of my generation care deeply about the vulnerable groups throughout history. But when it comes to Jewish people and or the state of Israel, so many are so vocal in their opposition and hatred against them. And I believe this has to do with college history courses and mainstream media. My question is, if millennials knew about the persecution Jewish people have suffered throughout history, would they still be so inclined to believe the lies? Also, how do me as a millennial can help those around me know the truth about Israel and God's everlasting love for them? And I want to say thank you for all that you do. And I believe you're such an important voice right now in our society where there's so much lies and so much misinformation. Thank you so much. Thank you, Angela. How old are you, Angela? I'm 23. How old are you? 23. All right, listen, I was, just, I was just talking about giving books away. Uh, but, Danny, when you get back, I, I want to send a copy of Our Hands Are Staying With Blood to Angela. So if someone gets her info, I know we're just about at the end of the show. I want to send you my book, Our Hands Are Staying With Blood. Yes, if there was more recognition of the horrors of the Holocaust and the decimation of the Jewish people of Europe, even the, the challenge of the modern state of Israel, and terrorism, and all that's had to be overcome, uh, there would be a different view. What I found is when the Jewish people are not going through hell on earth, there's tremendous sentiment against, well, the Jews control the money, well, the Jews are better educated, well, the Jews have all the advantages, the Jews, the Jews, the evil Jews. And it's only when there's extreme hardship, like the Holocaust, or extreme persecution, that people wake up to it. So if millennials understood church history better, and the persecution Jews have suffered, if they understood Jewish history, it's not to make Jews into perpetual victims, but it's to say that much, much has come against them because so many Jews, they, uh, so many millennials, they want to side with the underdog, the oppressed. So let them do that. But let them realize that the Jews are perpetually in that class as well. All right, we are out of here. <laughs> 